This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. All right, folks. It's that time of the week again. Thursday, Coast in effect with the founder of the largest online progressive community, Daily Coast. Join that community. Become a citizen if you've not already. Also, Civics with a Q. He had some really great information for us last week with the latest Civics poll. If you haven't had a chance to check that out. And also the host of the ever popular podcast, The Brief. Marcos joins us once again. Hey, buddy, how are you? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm okay. So um, I had a panel yesterday. I'm at the Proctor Conference and um, I moderated a panel on guess what? Politics uh, in 2024 and the church's role. No shock there. Um, and it, it came up, you know, because, you know, when people organize these things, they look at the cycles. So the panel was 2024 and beyond. When we got going to the panel, I said, wait a minute, we got stuff going on in 2023. So we we can't ignore that. It's, it's every, you know, folks, some, it, wherever you may live, you know, there are races going on even now where you are. And this week, um, we had a few. We had uh, Wisconsin. Uh, we had New Hampshire. We had Kentucky, correct? Kentucky, Virginia. So we had a, a Virginia, whole sorry. slew uh, in New Hampshire. New Hampshire, so, right. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was a good night. It was a good night. Now, um, most of these were special elections, and we can get to the special elections in a, in a second, but I really want to focus first on Wisconsin because Wisconsin on April 4, April 4, Tuesday, April 4, there is an election for the state Supreme Court. And whoever wins this election will decide control of the court. And we know how important that is moving into 2024 and the presidential election and the way that Republicans have been trying to use the courts to justify their seditious attempts to undermine our democracy. So absolutely critical. And last night, or not last night, Tuesday night, was the um, primary. And it was what's called a jungle primary. So everybody runs under the same banner and then the top with, without partisan labels and the top two move on to the general election. So the um, we got, you know, there's two progressives running. There was a moderate, you know, I, I use scare quotes, moderate Republican. We, we know <laughs> that's, a, that's a misnomer these days. And then there was like a Trump MAGA right-wing lunatic who uh, already ran for the state Supreme Court and lost previously. So Democrats were hoping that if we couldn't get two Democrats to run, you know, to run against each other, like next best case scenario was this uh, mega Trumpy guy because he's just so absolutely vile. And um, we, we got that plan B. We got, we got a great progressive at the top of the ticket. And then we got this loony mega Republican uh, running too. But here's here's what was so exciting about last night. This is a primary low turnout affair, historically. And the reason that there's a general election in April is because conservatives have rigged the system to make sure that high propensity voters, which are usually wealthier, white, older, hence conservative, turn out and vote. If they really were interested in getting maximum voter turnout, obviously they would they would coincide with presidential elections or at least a midterm governor's election, right? But but that's not what they're interested in. This is how conservatives and and basically the white power structure 
how they kept control over decades and decades, right? Is they make sure they schedule these weird-ass elections. They do the same thing with school boards, right? They, they slip them in in the middle of the summer where nobody's voting. So, so typically what we're talking about, this is high propensity voters historically, and it's been tough to win these elections because it's hard to get liberals and, and liberal-minded voters to turn out and, and vote in these weird off-cycle off, um, off elections. Well, what happened last night, first of all, two things happened. One, turnout was 40% higher than the last uh, Supreme Court primary in a February two years ago. Um, in that turnout, there was, I think, in the last one, there's like 500,000 people voted. I'm not sure we have a final count yet, but it was over 900,000. I mean, it was absolutely nuts. And here's the thing. You add up the two Democrats and the two Republicans, and you tally their, their vote totals, the two Democrats got 54% of the vote. The two Republicans got 46%. It's not the general election. You know, who knows what they'll do to, to get their vote out in April. But what it shows is that liberal voters are becoming high propensity voters. Like that's that's the sign. It's we've always talked about how our core base, which is more brown, more black, younger, uh, more single. Marriage is a big predictor of vote. All those things benefit Democrats, but they're also the groups that are least likely to vote historically. That's changing. And we're seeing that. And so that gets us to these special elections. We didn't just see that in Wisconsin, but we saw that in special elections in New Hampshire, in Virginia, in Kentucky, and there's one more that I'm that I'm in, did I say Kentucky? We're seeing we saw that across the board where our candidates didn't just win these elections, but they dramatically outperformed Biden's numbers in 2020. In what we're still in February, right? February 22nd, the most off. <laughs> <laughs> off cycle of off cycle elections. Virginia, we got the first black woman to represent uh, Virginia in Congress, and she didn't just win, but in 2020, the Democrat won by 36 points. In 22, um, let's see, hold on, hold on. Uh, yeah, in 22, in, in 2022, the Democrat won by 30 points. In 2020, won by 36 points. She won by 45 points. So again, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty solid Democratic district. But again, conservatives always turn out and vote. Like that's the truism. Older, whiter conservatives vote. And it's our base that has had a hard time. Not only are we coming out in the dead of winter to, to vote in these special elections, but we're doing it at higher numbers, higher levels than conservatives. This is dramatic. This is why we didn't lose last year. Because our voters are starting to turn out reliably. And it's, you know what this tells you right now? It tells me that it's not a fluke, that our voters are actually finally internalizing the importance of voting. And once they become high propensity voters, it means that there's a, there's a subset of our voters that we don't have to worry about anymore. We can actually then focus on, on the younger, the, you know, the more fringy, less likely to vote. People get new people registered to vote. And so it dramatically changes the math and gives us a real fighting chance next year, not only to take the House, which I think we're, we're favored to, but I think we have a real chance to hold the Senate and 
to make gains at state legislatures and governorships. So I'm actually really excited about next year. And I didn't think I would say that from a well, from a from a random middle of the winter uh, Tuesday. So it's it's really exciting news. So well, middle of the winter, but let's face it. I mean, the weather's been kind of good these days. It's not you know um, it's not been a terrible winter. Let me just put it that way. So that probably helps somewhat. I want to go back to Wisconsin for a minute. Um, and yes, high propensity. I wonder though, if some of the Wisconsin voters took a lesson from no last November, um, because a few more have turned, would have turned out Mandela Barnes is, is in the Senate. So I wonder if that too was a motivation. Look, we don't want, we don't want to go to sleep on this like some of us did in, in November. I mean, I, I don't doubt that that's the case. I, I would I would say that that uh, Mandela Barnes was so close. <laughs> like it's too soon, Mark. Too soon, man. It's too soon. But um, yeah, I think that's part of it. And there's there's yeah, I just it, it's this notion now that that. Um, all elections are important. I mean, conservatives have known that judicial elections, school board elections, that they matter, right? They've always known. They, they for fifty years, they made that the focus of a lot of their organizing efforts. And our, and our, and liberals for years and years and years, all they cared about was the presidential, right? So you had people that would would go nuts for Bernie Sanders and then do nothing the rest of the time, even though those are the elections that had the biggest impact. And so it was really frustrating to see. And I'm, I don't want to pick on Bernie Sanders. I mean, before that, it was Obama versus Hillary Clinton. And then, you know, Howard Dean versus John Kerry. Like, they're, they're, that's what everybody obsessed about. And yeah, obviously, the presidency matters, but all these other elections matter. The reason Texas doesn't have the right to an abortion right now is because what should be a light blue state and at the very least a purple state is a red state because it has some of the lowest voting percentages amongst um, core progressive demographics like Latinos. So this is the challenge that we've had. And there is absolutely a shift. It helps also that the suburbs are moving in our direction. Like let's not, because again, that's high propensity voters. It's wealthier, whiter, uh, and even even um, browner and black people who live in the suburbs are more likely to be, you know, more educated, which obviously is an all a predictor of, uh, of voting patterns. But um, it is clear that those built in advantages that Republicans had are are becoming less and less. I'm not I'm not ready to say I don't think we have enough data to say, like, OK, we're at, we're at parity. I still think they we have to work harder than they do. But we are we are getting there. And every election that our that our core voters participate in locks in those voting patterns and they're more likely to vote the following election. I mean, the, the rule of thumb in uh, in political science 101 is that once somebody votes in two straight elections, that they're a voter for life. I don't know if it's true. I haven't seen the data to back that up, but there's a certain internal logic to it that that it sounds good anyway. And um, and I don't doubt that there is some truth to it. So that's what's so critical. And then if we get to the point where we don't have to worry about certain demographics voting anymore, then we can, again, focus on registering those 18-year-olds, which are going to be our strongest uh, voters because they are incredibly 
they're more liberal than me and you, Mark. I mean, they're they're like next level um, liberal. So it's it's going to be great for the progressive movement if we can focus on getting those people electorally engaged as opposed to trying to get, you know, 40, 50 year olds to turn out. Jennifer McClellan, first African-American woman to represent Virginia in, in Congress. So what does that do in the, to the congressional piece? Is, is that a pickup? No, that's that's a solid that's a solid Democratic um, right, seat. Right. So it, it doesn't. It's it's less. We, we knew we were going to win it. It's, it's there wasn't. The question wasn't whether we're going to win or lose. The question is those margins. The fact that our people, even though the 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 outcome was predetermined, even though it wasn't you know particularly the most competitive race, people turned out in big big numbers. And you know, part of me hopes it's her. I don't know much about her. I'm not uh, you know apologize for that, but. Um, the difference in turnout rates is is absolutely dramatic. And so that means either she's, you know, an amazing candidate or it just means that um, voters in that district are going to turn out whether it matters or not. They're, they're ready to turn out and they're ready to vote. And that's the part that really excites me, that if we can get progressives to get excited about voting no matter what, like they do, they do, they already do that. If we can get there, it dramatically, because there's more of us in them. And so the less we have to focus on voting on reliable voters and more we can focus on unreliable voters, which, you know, a lot of it is youth voters, the better we are going to be um, um, moving forward. No, that's a, that's important. Um, New Hampshire. So uh, uh, just to drill down a little, little New more. New Hampshire on these, is a pickup. Yeah. That's a pickup. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so uh, the New, they have the New Hampshire House has the smallest margin, majority margin in, in the history of New Hampshire. So I think they're down to, Republicans have a three seat majority. And it's, uh, I don't know if you know anything about the New Hampshire House, but it's got like 10,000 members. I mean, I think like every other block in New Hampshire has, I, I think there's like 600 members in the New Hampshire House. It's something absolutely absurd. And, uh, and um, wow. So, and it's a small state, obviously, right? So it's actually a, a kind of a hilarious chamber, and and it'll people quit because you know in the middle of it. So there's a very real chance that that uh, um, they might even flip before the year, you know, before the year is out because it's that that close right now, and it's that volatile a chamber. All right, and then and then what was? Tell us more about the race in in Kentucky. So Kentucky, this is a. Um, um, this is actually Mitch McConnell's home district. It's one of those districts where where it, it's like the Virginia one, which is a solidly Democratic district. I think it's I believe it's um, um, it's a Memphis district, and Mitch McConnell lives there. But it's incredibly bougie and, and liberal and, and rich white people, and uh, so it wasn't surprising that a Democrat won, but the margin of victory once again was dramatically, dramatically higher. And it is really speaking to that trend that we saw literally everywhere last night that, um, that Democrats outperformed, outperformed. So this district is 73% white. Um, Biden won at 66, 33. And a Democrat last night won it with, uh, um, won it by uh, I gotta zoom in because this is 77 so it was like an 11 almost a 20 point net shift 
from 2020 to today. So again, it just speaks to Democrats being motivated even in off <laughs> weird time elections, which historically has never been the case. And in fact, Republicans have, have traditionally used these types of special elections to win pretty heavily Democratic seats because our people are just sleepwalking or, or just asleep and aren't paying attention. And it doesn't look like that's going to be happening anymore. And it shows that our people are motivated to vote no matter what, no matter when. And that is what's really important. No, that is that is very important. So that's good. And hopefully we'll continue to be high propensity um, voters um, as well. Um, but folks, again, these these local elections matter. And, and I, you, you mentioned something, too, before I leave this topic. You mentioned what's going on in Texas and, you know, there's no right to abortion. Now that the Supreme Court has kicked women's reproductive rights back to the states, you almost have to wonder if that's going to backfire on it. Is, is this going to mobilize more of us to vote and to continue to be consistent high propensity voters in these state elections so we can get some of this power back? Uh, get reproductive rights back. We, we're all bracing for the reversal of affirmative action. I mean, it's a whole bunch of things mm -hmm. that are on the block. Maybe now people realize, well, hey, we really got to take these, these uh, yep. state races more seriously. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't say yeah. it better than that. <laughs> I'm just going to let it go. You got it. That's good. <laughs> no, and, and that's important. That's what we, we have to do. Uh, of course, you follow Ukraine club. Before we do that, uh, I do want to do this too. What's your reaction to the, uh, the the Trump case in Fulton County? Actually, where I am right now, the four person speaking. Uh, have you had a chance to, to look at that? And because um, it's not clear um, whether or not, at least I haven't found any evidence yet that there was a recommendation of an indictment um, of Donald Trump. Um, but this four person is all over television, all over television. Yeah, I don't honestly. I'm it's just confusing right now. I, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 weird. And because um, usually you never see anybody from the grand jury. Yeah, that's so nature. It, it's supposed to be. It's it's weird. I don't I don't even know what to make of it. To be honest, not yet. I haven't seen anything that's conclusive or definitively explains what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and then it's a question of of whether or not there was an indictment. There was a statement made that there was no fraud, um, but I, I would have thought attempted fraud. I don't know if that's a term, a legal no, term. Yeah, it's conspiracy to commit fraud, right? You yeah, call it conspiracy. Yeah, right, right, conspiracy. right. Yeah. Okay, so we'll watch that. So now, it's like attempted murder, right? You don't have to murder somebody to actually. You made it right, right. Yeah. So you have really kept uh, us and the Daily Coast community and, and the national community very well informed about logistics, the logistics of war. And know more about that than I ever would have. And you all, Marco, as Marcos has talked about this, he kind of talked about it. I mean, we watch war from a distance, but he's kind of helped us understand supply lines, training, learning how to use new equipment. Oh, my God. So I know all this from you. And I'm thinking, how on earth could they secure Biden on short notice like that? And they couldn't fly him in. I'm like, I, don't need, I couldn't even fathom how they pulled that off, just knowing what you shared with me about how complicated those. That was really, 
That was it really is, dangerous, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's very so. So what happened is he he snuck out of Washington D.C. not on Air Force One on a different plane, so that people wouldn't notice. He landed in Poland in Resko, which is near the the Ukrainian border. He got on a train that is used to shuttle world leaders to keep because nothing can fly in or out of Ukraine right now. Uh, the one piece of the Russian military machine that works is their anti-air defenses. So they got him on a 10-hour train ride, probably the longest train ride in a, in, for a president since what, like Teddy Roosevelt probably. And, and uh, a 10-hour ride, right before the, the train took off, the U.S. Um, notified uh, Moscow, telling them that Biden was going to be in Kiev and basically... <laughs> Don't fuck with that, right? I'm I'm sure that was the either the, it was said explicitly or it was implied heavily, and um, there is no way there was no air cover, there was there was no way that could be secured the way a president typically is. So it was an incredibly brave, uh, somewhat risky effort to really demonstrate America's commitment to Ukraine security and and, and long term promise to to help defend itself against the, the illegal Russian invasion. And um, this is the first time in American history, actually, that a U.S. president has gone to a war zone that is not um, secured by U.S. forces. So it was it was it was the right thing to do. Everybody said it couldn't be done. And I'm sure the Secret Service was like, hell no. But in the end, you know, the president is boss and and they they won't say exactly what they did and they shouldn't because you don't want to let russia know what security measures because biden's not the only world leader that's making that trip in fact the day after biden went the uh, prime minister of italy was there and our own our own um administration officials nancy pelosi was there um you know, Secretary Austin, Secretary of Defense Austin had been there several times. You, you really don't want Russia to know exactly what those security measures are. So we don't know the full story. And I actually hope after the war is over that that, that story is told because I'm sure it'll be interesting. But there's just no way, no way that Biden had the level of security that a U.S. president has 24-7. And so there was there was huge risk. And Russian media is like Russian state propaganda is is just absolutely... Uh, they're shell shocked by how impotent they look. And I was I was watching a translation of a, of a, one of the state propaganda shows, and and one of the one of the guests was like, "This is a spit in our face," and it literally was. I mean, Colleen Russian say like, "We're gonna be in Kiev, back off," and Putin knowing that he had no options, there was nothing he could do to um, to do anything about it really showed how pathetic Russia has become, you know, one year into this war. Yeah, that that was a pretty serious move. And you mentioned 10 hour train. Well, one thing Biden likes is right there and out. Yeah. yeah, it just 28 hours. That's like a whole day. So 20 hours on that fight. And then he was in Kiev for four hours. So it was uh, so even if, if Russia didn't, you know, didn't know he was coming in, I'm sure they knew once. He, I mean, they were they were they were informed. Right. But um the Ukrainian government shut down a bunch of blocks. And so Biden didn't actually mingle with, you know, you, 
uh, Ukrainian citizens. That's probably <laughs> Secret Service is like hell, <laughs> hell the heck no. But um, he got to do a lot more of that. Biden got to do a lot more of that in Poland, actually, where it was it was easier to you know obviously it's not in the middle of a war zone, but uh, it was it was an, it was an incredible statement. It's something that you know those of us who support Ukraine have been wanting to see for a while. All the other world leaders have made the trip, you know, the, of the coalition. Ours was the only one. And obviously the logistics of it were challenging and, and understandable. But the fact that Biden was able to pull it off was was pretty amazing. And I, I love the, the the MAGA reaction has been absolutely hysterically funny because they're absolutely losing their minds over it. And, you know, they had this narrative, Mark, right? That, oh, he's such a bumbling fool. He's senile. He's, he's being propped up like weekend at Bernie's. Then you had the State of the Union address where he just raked them over the coals and made them look like fools. And now here he is like strutting around like 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 he's the boss. I mean, the images out of Ukraine and Poland are in like they're unbelievable. Like he's never looked better. He's never looked like more of a dark Brandon rising. You know, you've seen the memes, right? The dark Brandon memes. Like he was living the dark Brandon memes in those places, strutting around in the war zone without the massive massive american security detail that he usually gets it shows that he had some you know uh you know incredible guts and so uh it's hard for conservatives when they have these like ridiculous narratives to see this happening and seeing those narratives just go up in flames and in fact some conservatives were complaining that it was too brave that he you know the presidency shouldn't be putting itself at risk because not suddenly they care about biden's safety apparently and um, so they, they couldn't even decide on what line of attack to use because it was, it was masterful. And then you have Mitch McConnell, who's been like Biden's best friend for the last three months, weirdly, has been backing up Biden against McCarthy on the debt limit, uh, even on some of the Trump stuff. Um, and here he was saying, like, no, nah, that was great. What, what Biden did was was great. And so it's funny. McConnell's playing this other weird game where he's like, I'm just going to be like <laughs> Biden's best friend because I'm done with these MAGA fools. And so that 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 Republican in disarray narrative um, is is sort of doubling down because they don't know what they're doing over there anymore. Have we seen that headline? We've always seen the Dems in disarray headline. Is anybody seen? Let us know if you've seen Republicans in disarray headline at The New York Times. Nope. Not yet. Or anywhere else. Yeah. May, May Eric Bowler rest in peace. Because yep. I know I know that he would be calling. Uh, he was he stayed on top of that. I mean, that disarray, disarray, disarray. And you're right. You know. You and I have been objectively critical of, of Biden and whether or not somebody 80 needs to be running places. But he might have heard us, too, and be like, I'm going to show these guys. I'm going to show Marco some Mark. I'm going to tear up the State of the Union. <laughs> Let's show out. And then I'm going to take my bad behind in the middle of the night on a 10-hour train ride. Man, I could not. I couldn't do a 10-hour train ride each way. If they, they say that to me now, in my age, I'm not doing that. I can't do it. That's not my. I don't know what you would have to give me. You have to probably say that. I just couldn't. No. Yeah, uh-uh. no and then I'm going into a danger zone with, I mean, something literally could have happened. He's over, walking around in Kiev. Folks, be clear. I, I, I'm, so I'm assuming this. They called the, the, the Kremlin, which was, you know, makes sense. But it's like Putin, if he could, he'd want to get to Zelensky and kill him, wouldn't he? I mean, yeah. Zelensky is not just walking around aimlessly and free. He's living under the threat of an attack at any moment. So if Biden go, is going next to the person they would really like to take out, mm-hmm. I mean, what possible... So let me just ask you this from your military knowledge and, and logistical perspective. 
I mean, and I know we don't want to say everything that they did, but you and I don't know anyway, but I'm just, how, what can you speculate as to what kind of protocol was in place to absolutely ensure his safety? I just don't. I don't, I don't think it's possible. I mean, the presidency, he, he travels in a security bubble. It is massive. They shut down entire miles of, of, of territory whenever he moves. It's why it's such a pain in the ass to be in the path of a presidential motorcade. And the there there was just absolutely no way. But he he was he was walking around streets. Yeah, they shut the streets down. But what's stopping stopping a saboteur from you know from setting up shop in one of the one of the apartment complexes overlooking the plaza? I mean, people saw him once they were there. They they knew what was happening. I mean, the word got out really fast that that Biden was actually uh, in Kiev itself. And um, but it also it also there's another split screen moment though because. On what was it on Monday? What, yeah, I think it was it was I think it was Monday. Um, Vladimir Putin did a speech to the his state, you know, his his pretend puppet legislature and generals and, you know, his whole like esteemed government officials on the one year anniversary of the of the of the war. And um, the speech itself was was. There was nothing, nothing there. It was actually kind of a disappointment. Uh, but what was amazing, though, is that his stage was probably like 100 feet from the front row of his own people, right? Because all those people in the audience were Putin loyalists. There's no such thing anymore as an opposition leader, right? It's not like you have Democrats and Republicans and Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, being, you know, screaming at the president. Like, that doesn't exist in Russia. It's a dictatorship. So it was his own people. And the front row is about 100 feet from where, uh, from Putin's stage because he doesn't trust anybody. He thinks everybody's out to murder him. He's, he's clearly paranoid. And then you contrast that with Zelensky and Biden strolling through Kiev, you know, people all around. And yeah, they shut down city streets for security reasons, but there are still um, government workers and employees and, and security details. And so he was walking around just surrounded by people. And then he goes to, to, to Poland and he does an incredible speech with the most beautiful backdrops I have, I think I have ever seen. Just stunning uh, use of colors and lights with the Ukrainian colors and the American and Polish flags. It was, it was just stunningly beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. It was literally dark Brandon uh, in, in real life. And Again, he walks in kind of like he does at the State of the Union address, right? Crowds of, of, of people shaking his hand. You know, he's waving, he's hugging everybody. And yeah, again, it's, it's, it's diplomats. It, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like random people on the street, right? But Putin doesn't even trust his own loyalists. Biden's out there in crowds of people. He doesn't know who they are. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't care. Like, and that contrast was dramatic. And, and Russian state propaganda didn't, they didn't contrast. You're not going to criticize Putin, right? But they actually did have pictures of, of Biden strolling through Kiev and his speech in Poland and, and walking the streets of, of uh, Warsaw. And they were like, this is, this is, this is not good for us. I kept saying, this is not good for us. This is, this is a great PR victory for Biden. This is, this is uh, a big moment for them. It's a terrible moment for us. And what I thought was even maybe the best part about it all was videos from regular Ukrainian soldiers out in the field. 
because they'll record these these little snippets about what's going on in the front lines and you know they post them online and and you know i i, I track them all because it gives me some insight into what's going on on the ground as you're trying to piece together um you know the situation on the ground piercing through the fog of war because everything is just propaganda there's misinformation there's honest confusion so i'm always watching these video clips and pretty much i'd say almost if not all almost all of them that i've seen in the last few days they were so excited that biden had visited like the excitement like that gave them extra reason to fight that they weren't alone that you know the united states the most powerful nation in the world, the arsenal of democracy, leader of the free world, that they were, not only were they standing with Ukraine, because they know that already, they've been getting weapons, but that Biden risked his own life. They all understand. They live that, they're, they're in that war zone. They understand what it means. It's not, for them, it's not theoretical. For them, it's real. And, and for them, so they know what it took for Biden to, to walk down the streets of uh, of Kiev, and and the morale boost was palpable. And again, even the Russians in their state propaganda made reference to that that oh, this is gonna this is gonna improve morale with with Ukrainian soldiers. And uh, so it it worked on so many different levels. And I don't want to discount the political the domestic component because it really shatters that Republican narrative that that Biden is somehow old and senile and, and non functional. I mean he's. He's even even liberals who are like, oh, he's too old. You know, he should somebody else should run. He's like sending a message. He's like he's he's at his prime. That's what he's saying right now. I mean, he is on his A game. There, there's courage and then there's stupidity. So maybe your next civics poll, you ought to ask which is which: Biden going to Kiev and Poland, or Trump telling him to turn off the magnetometers. <laughs> You know, because he didn't know who was in that crowd. He could have got shot. You know what I'm saying? There was some real nut jobs in that crowd. He said, turn off, turn off the magnetometers. These are my people. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's a big difference there. Uh, folks, again, uh, big wins Tuesday night. Um, I, I must say I was impressed by what Biden did um, and the statement that made and, and the risk involved. Um, even if I weren't concerned if our president and not concerned about the safety of losing my life i sitting on train for 10 hours i just <laughs> if not, yeah you're not going to talk that's about what? biden's vitality after he sat through 20 hours of train rides in that is day. rough that is rough and you know, i don't know what they had on that train to make i mean they would have had just laid me straight out i don't know i just would have had to be a lot of comfort uh available um Marcos Melitsis, the uh, dailycoach.com, of course, civics with a Q, uh, dot com. Marcos, as always, we appreciate you. Uh, thank you so very much. Appreciate you. Love you. And talk to you next week. Yeah. A lot of good news this week, folks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.